Hey everyone, hopefully this one's on. Uh, this is episode 51.5. <laughs> I thought about just calling it 51 Redo. Uh, Calling in their sights, plus a general AMA. Um, I, I'm still in touch with Colin. We still don't know what's going on with uh, the last episode. It's there, it's floating around in my drafts. And uh, I will publish that as soon as they basically let me know that they have figured it out to do so. So w- welcome to the wonderful world of tech. Um, <clears throat> as I said, I pr- pretty much just do another AMA uh, open topic, which we kind of do anyway. But something caught my eye this week specifically related to Colin, which was the New Republic uh, and an author named Jacob Silverman uh, did an entire article on David Sachs. Uh, who's the founder of Colin, and Colin was part of this piece, and they're now kind of throwing him in with Musk and Thiel, and I thought that this was interesting in the sense of Colin for the last year or so. I think it's been around a little bit over under a year. Um, has managed to kind of fly under the radar. It hasn't generated the kind of outrage that um, Clubhouse did, despite uh, Colin has features where it obviously publishes episodes. You can go back and listen. You can clip. You can read transcripts. It does all of that stuff. And yet Clubhouse kind of drew the ire of journalists such as uh, Taylor Lorenz, etc., who uh, just came out and was listening to Clubhouse episodes and then making up quotes that she had heard. And uh, it, it was always kind of interesting to me that Colin never really drew their, the attention of these people until just very recently. And for whatever reason, I'm not sure why that is. It, it kind of drew off the same audience. It, obviously, Matt Taibbi is on here. Glenn Greenwald is on here. I think maybe it's because it also draws in a lot of ideological voices from the political left, as Brian Joy Gray is on here, obviously, and a few others. But you'll also find uh, kind of stewards of wrong thing, people like Ali Alexander, who is, I'm certainly no fan of as well. I think Miles Taylor was on here for a bit. And if you notice, I don't really talk about any of that. I'm... I'm pretty isolated in what I do here. I, I host shows. I don't worry about what else, what else is happening on Colin other than really that I'm towards the top two or three shows. And even then, I kind of look at that and I go, oh, that's interesting. Um, but finally, Colin kind of is on the radar, at least, of the New Republic, which means it's not very far behind that it will be on, kind of in the aims of Ben Collins and Bandy Zajazny from NBC, and then the tech reporting at the Washington Post, because that's just generally what they all do. They just, they read what someone else has written in their social circle. They say, oh, this is great. They kind of crib notes off of that, and then they go off and they write their own piece on it. And uh, I I thought it was interesting that uh, they kind of link this to the recall effort of uh, Tezza uh, Bowden or Bowden or whatever you, I don't even care. I don't care enough to pronounce his name uh, in San Francisco. It said, uh, Last month, Chester Bowden, the former district attorney of San Francisco, spoke with the leftist podcast and political commentator Katie Halper about the recall that removed him from office in June soon after taking office. Speaking to Halper, Bowden gave a passionate defense of his policies, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It was, quote, the interview wrapped up, but the conversation wasn't over. Halper invited her audience to discuss on call in a growing podcast platform the astroturf recall that removed Bowden, but there was a glaring acknowledged irony. Irony, Colin, which has attracted a swath of very online journalists from the left, right, and murkier ideological corners, was co-founded by David Sachs, a venture capitalist, longtime tech executive, who's one of Bodoon's earliest and most vocal opponents. 
they basically link his recall to Sachs and Colin. Uh, it goes a little bit into um, who's who's on this platform and people like obviously Michael Tracy and obviously like I said Taibbi, Glenn Greenwald, etc. And it attaches Sachs to uh, the new emerging practitioner of the new right wing sensibility that has emerged in the political realignments provoked by Trumpism or the pandemic. And uh, it goes into uh, talking about some of the call-in shows. And I'm not here to uh, promote Sachs either way. Uh, I just, I found this interesting in the sense of how it's suddenly on the radar. Uh, I was also not mentioned in this article, and that kind of hurt my feelings, if I'm being honest, as someone who's in like the top five of the shows. Um, But I also learned that ignoring someone like me has kind of become their strategy. And it doesn't really work, but they're all more power to them. Um, but it was just an interesting thing. You can go back. You you should go and you should read it. But like I said, it's called The Quiet Political Rise of David Sachs, Silicon Valley's Profit Over Doom. And uh, again, the reason why I bring this up is because this won't be the first attention now that New Republic has picked it up, which is generally how these things go. Once a place like New Republic picks it up or Mother Jones picks something up, it's only a matter of time before NBC picks it up and also before places like uh, the Washington Post and New York Times uh, tech reporters also picked this up. And uh, this is obviously also a topic that Greenwald himself is well versed on. And it's basically about going after the kind of the, the Silicon Valley billionaire set who doesn't just fall in line to produce platforms that can just espouse more far left progressive social justice causes. We also learned today uh, that Elon Musk reportedly said he would lay off 75% of Twitter's workforce or anyone who scored under a three on a performance review. And uh, I also thought that that was funny because that seemed that seemed low to me. <laughs> the amount of people who need to be let go of Twitter who have basically taken a, a platform and turned it into something that has to be about disinformation and democracy and elections and things like that. And again, almost no social media platform is adverse to people using its own product than Twitter itself. And so I always find this funny. Um, so th- to me, there and Sachs has had a few tweets about Ukraine lately, and as well as we saw Elon Musk basically turn off the light switch on Starlink over Ukraine, Ukraine after they told him to go fuck himself. And I'm, I'm kind of of two minds on that, that no, he shouldn't have done that. But on the other hand, what were you expecting when you told him to do that? And someone on Twitter also noted that he basically did the same thing when, the, when uh, one of the state politicians in California told Musk to just get the fuck out of California. And a few weeks later, that's exactly what he did. He closed up shop and then he opened up the Tesla offices in Austin, Texas. And so... Uh, again, I look at this as just kind of another fire, uh, uh, you know, a shot across the bow of anyone who is daring to question corporate media narratives. And yes, I do think blind financial technological support for Ukraine falls under that. Um, that whole situation is interesting to me because you have people like Musk and Sachs on Twitter hypothesizing the best ways to end that conflict. And no, do I think any of that is going to work? But if you recall, I also authored a piece basically saying this is the first social media war between nation states, between Ukraine and Russia. This first war we're seeing play out in real time on Twitter, where 
Everyone is throwing out their bad ideas, including attempting to nationalize Starlink. Thank David Frum for that one. A tiny Canadian fascist. Um, and uh, it's interesting to see diplomats and uh, ambassadors from Ukraine and from other states like engage in, you know, hyperbolic political warfare. And again, I don't really so much have a feeling about that either way. Uh, I've made my feelings about the Ukraine conflict pretty clear. Uh, but I do think that there are questions surrounding just how much and how long we should go on funding this when the U.S. is about uh, is two months into a recession and is going to get worse in the coming year. So just some thoughts to set everybody up. Uh, we're going to go until about 10 p.m. Eastern. We'll go for about 50 minutes here or until I run out of callers. This could be a short episode. I only see Matt and Samuel. Uh, so if it's your first time joining in, if you have thoughts on anything, uh, just feel free to join the queue up there. And uh, again, as I usually note, uh, maybe try to keep things just a little short and to the point as we do have people com probably coming up behind you. Um, and also, if you could please mute your microphone if you're not talking, uh, it just it makes it easier for people to listen and it helps keep me uh, not being distracted. And I will also try to do the same. So again, just a, something for you guys to chew on right off the bat. Obviously, I know there's other things going on. We had another incident today with Shotgun Frankenstein and the Bride of Fetterman, um, with Joe Biden even calling her. <laughs> She's going to be a great lady of the Senate. And as you may or may not have heard of my podcast today, even I am beside myself at how much they are actually leaning to this meme. It's crazy. I've never seen anything like it. It's surreal that, you know, something that was kind of a, a tinfoil conspiracy theory three or four weeks ago is now just kind of fully out in the open and being embraced by them. There's also been a couple of videos that have surfaced later tonight from a couple of Twitter accounts showing uh, Biden trying to answer questions in some kind of foreign language, and, as well as Fetterman not answering questions while at a campaign stop, I guess claiming that it's uh, they're not there to interview or answer questions. Uh, I still think he's going to show for the debate. I know there's some debate in and of itself over that. Uh, I, I think based on polling, and if Fetterman is campaigning with Joe Biden, there's a reason why, as well as releasing his phony doctor's letter. Uh, I would say if he decides to back out and does not show, then I would say 100 percent he's going to lose that race as opposed to if he shows up and barely gets through it, 70 percent he's going to lose that race. But it definitely feels like, especially in the wake of the Monmouth poll that was released today, that there you can you can you can kind of feel the wind go all out of uh everybody sails that this is not going to be a wave. So again, that's something else that's going on. And uh, anything else, anything you might have seen, any links or uh, stories, uh, anything on your mind, that's what an AMA is. So we'll just jump in. Um, I see Eric just saying, Samuel, Matt, some of my usuals. Matt's up first. Uh, go ahead, Matt. I, I'm not trying to be funny out of the gate, but on October 31st, don't you think the Fetterman campaign should just stuff him in a closet and be like, you can't be trick or treating or being seen anywhere around people dressing up because it's just the optics of that are going to be terrible. We had uh, someone from last episode say that he's going to end up on SNL here before the end of this. And I, if you if you were here for it, you heard the despair because I was just like, fuck, that's totally what's going to happen. And if I was his people, I would completely lean into it. I would say, go on SNL and yeah. act like fucking Frankenstein. Yeah, just seriously. Get it over point. with. Make a joke of the memes. 
just go out there and, and do it. And, you know, everyone will laugh at it and it'll probably help your campaign. Um, but I don't even know if by October 31st, he's even going to be alive, much less. In the- Have you ever seen the movie Step Brothers with John C. Riley and Will Ferrell? Yeah, that's an Adam. That's a, that's an Adam McKay before Adam McKay became all serious and started just doing movies about climate change or whatever. Do Do you remember the scene when um, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley would sleepwalk at night and they would just like and they'd run into each other, <laughs> which was based on which was based on a viral video of two babies, basically. Oh, okay. If you put Fetterman and Biden into a room, it wouldn't even be sleepwalking. And you just took their wives out of the house for a day and you put nanny cams in there. Like that would be the same scene. I I was genuinely, and I know I have to, I know I have to stop being shocked at some of this stuff, but I was genuinely surprised at how much he was shoved into the background today. Because even last week, I wanted to be sure of this. So even last week, uh, this was being billed as a Fetterman Biden campaign stop. That was, it was being uh, billed that way by the LA times and the Washington post. And if you heard me typing, I'm trying to pull up another one. Biden hopes to boost Fetterman in uh, Pennsylvania midterm in a campaign rarity. Biden to appear with candidate in close race. That was the Washington post. Um, and then over the course of the week here, uh, I mean, here, here's uh, Biden, President Biden, who campaigned for Fetterman. Um, and then I know that he went to Philadelphia for a fundraiser form, which is where I think you saw some of these videos. But I don't even know if Fetterman appeared at that or if he spoke at that. Um, so this went from being billed as a campaign rally. And, you know, I said this on my podcast today where it was like, we know what campaign rallies are. We're, all of us are, you know students with brains where, you know, the president shows up and they talk, the president talks about their accomplishments and then they introduce the candidate and the candidate steps in front of the podium and the candidate speaks and says, you know, here's, this is why we need to send shotgun Frankenstein to the Senate and whatever. And then there's a back and forth and then they hold hands and the music goes and that's whatever. That's, that's, that's actually campaigning. And then what we saw today was Biden basically flew from DC to Pennsylvania and it became an infrastructure speech that lasted 12 minutes. Yeah. It, it, this whole thing is very weird because, and this is kind of like the, the perception I have, right? Like as somebody who's not following the race, this is, you said it in your podcast today, it's kind of just a local PA Senate race. This is actually one of the most consequential races for the Senate. And the president has done the most campaigning with him. He, Fetterman went to the Philadelphia speech that Biden gave, not a campaign rally per se, but appearance together. Biden did a Pittsburgh event, I think, and then the one that you're referencing and then today. So he's been proximity, obviously, like as far as Biden can actually travel, um, which it makes sense. And he's from Pennsylvania, technically. But he's getting behind this guy. And, and this is my perception of this. From And like the media is not going to cover it like this. But you have a feeble old man whose policies are impacting the lives of everyone in this country. And you're going to put somebody in the, almost the same vegetative state in a very important position in the Senate. So you're going to have two of the most health impaired people entering the important positions uh, in D.C. next year campaigning together. And no one's like, yeah, maybe this is a bad idea. Maybe the guy who's like cognitively declined shouldn't be campaigning for the other guy that is like. I get Diane Feinstein's in the Senate for 400 years and she loses it, but they're going to put Diane Feinstein into the Senate. Like, give me a break. 
Yeah, I mean, that, I saw someone make that joke today that, that the only reason they had Fetterman there was so Biden sounded coherent and, and, and on point and on sense. Um, it is interesting. And I said what was so interesting is when you see photos and you see video, just how much in the background Fetterman is. And I don't mean that in the sense they're trying to hide him because that's impossible. He's just not there at every turn. Like if you see the photos of the tarmac, He's just kind of in the background and you think that there's like four raccoons under his jacket, just holding his head on a stick, you know, like men in black or something. And yeah, the whole- you, you see her engaging with Biden. And of course, Biden gives her a shout out. And there's a couple clips where he's just, Fetterman's just sitting there and he's just off in space. And then there's the clip we all saw of the reporter trying to ask him a question. And he doesn't even, he doesn't even respond to it. Not, not he, his eyes maybe look over. But as soon as this reporter says, Mr. Fetterman, Bride of Fetterman just does the spin turn because she wasn't paying attention. And then the other thing you notice in that clip is his security detail all closes around. And I thought, like, if you go back, you, you just see something new in this clip every single time that he's just kind of rocking back and forth. Just I don't know what the fuck he's there to do except lift heavy objects. And the second this reporter says, Mr. Fetterman, are you satisfied with the construction of this bridge? The second he says, Mr. Fetterman, someone actually did this. Someone did a side-by-side of him and her. She just spins around in like a second. And she's just like suddenly Johnny on the spot. I'm here to handle this. And then you also see one of the security guys come back into frame. And I mean, some of this might be conspiratorial and that's what it sounds like. But if you watch the clip, that's what happens. And he is just not there. And I talked about this, that this is this is the job he's going to face as a senator. Is it, When he goes lumbering through the halls and there are reporters there, trying to ask him questions is his wife going to be sitting there writing his shoulders like master blaster at barter town <laughs> like who's going to be who's going to be answering questions as a senator yeah like, he can't I, even respond to a question about a fucking bridge that has nothing to do with oz nothing to do with a race how are you feeling mr fetterman sir we're not doing an interviews thank you and it's not an interview it's like nobody asked him to sit down for an interview someone's trying to re- ask a question and i guess my other thing on this as far as a media podcast where are the other reporters doing that? And we know why. We know that they're not going to do it. They're just sit, happy to sit there and go, Mr. Fetterman just appeared lucid. He, he didn't die. Um, oh, and he's wearing a suit. How about that? And that's the low bar we're at. And yeah. So it, it, I and try, I think try to get off of this because, again, I don't know how interesting the local Senate, you know, Pennsylvania Senate campaign is. I know Samuel's back there just drooling, waiting to get up here, but. I'm kind of just like it, it, this is surreal to watch. That it really, it really it. is in such and, a tight year, and I think the the media story, whether the media covers it or not, but the independent and conservative media know know what the story is going to be after the midterms. I think it's going to be this. It, the lead up has been the extreme MAGA candidates, right? That one, the Democrats are helping to get into the position of being the candidate, but I think after the midterms, the real story is going to be how much Joe Biden helped these or hurt these candidates in their campaigns. And, the, and his, his campaigning resulted in losses in key races in Senate and governor. And or governor lack races. of, I you mean, know. he said, Jim Garrity pointed this out that he said, you know, Biden said he was going to be, he was going to do more stumping than any president in recent history. Da, 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 and he hasn't, he's, he's done one or two appearances. Part of that is, candidates don't want him. They know how unpopular he is internally, and they know that Biden showing up with Tim Ryan in Ohio is going to, you know, if Tim Ryan could get any worse. Um, 
and I think you're right. I, th- I think after the midterms here in a couple of weeks, to, uh, and I've said it the day after it's going to be Biden cannot run again. That's yeah. That's what, that's what the narrative is going to shift to. And na- then it becomes interesting from November to anyone who's not in political media, who somehow thinks that, Oh fuck, the midterms are over. Thank God. Yeah. The Dems just got the shit kicked out of them, but you know, and, and democracy's over, by the way, we'll hear that one. But the, the, um, thing, the, the very next day will is, be the very next day will be Biden has to step aside. They cannot sure. let him run again. And, and they've been saying on all the narrative has been the last few months is the MAGA black blankety blank cat you know, candidates, they're terrible and they're not great. But I've watched a few of these debates with these, you know, Trump supported candidates. And these people are pretty good at debating. Whoever prepped them. They are prepared. They're on message. They're very good. They might have, you know, different views than what people, you know, believe in, um, especially around the election. But these people are way better than the bad Democrat candidates. And I think this whole like Trump back candidates are terrible and they're not going to win and they're going to. I don't see it. I think that I think the issues are they're on point. They're debating well. And the Democrat candidates are terrible. And the guy that is the face of that party is 89 million years old and he, he can't remember yesterday's lunch. Yeah. I mean, it, it's interesting that they, they did what they said they were, they were going to set out to do, which is they got rid of Trump, but they didn't really think much beyond that. And I guess I look at that differently as politics. To me, politics is a lot about playing a long game. It's not necessarily about playing for the short victory. Although I would, you know, the politicians and strategists might argue differently, but Biden really, he's put them in a hard position uh, with his competency and then, two, his choice of vice president, who is more unpopular than he is. If he decides to step aside, there's several questions there. How do you not endo- how does Joe Biden not endorse Kamala Harris? Jim Clyburn has said he's going to endorse Kamala Harris. That might not matter. The voters might say you, she's gone anyway. But then who, who do you have in the wings there that is new and exciting and not even, you can even argue Pete Buttigieg is a retread from, you know, yeah, yeah there, there's noise. Um, and so uh, he really did put them in a bad position. I would argue they put themselves in a bad position. Um, and, and I get, and I guess we'll see. Um, here's Samuel. We'll see Samuel, the website for student loan forgiveness is up and live. So I assume you've been on that and uh give us i guess your 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 rundown on what you saw today in Pennsylvania as well as what you saw at the Monmouth poll. Yeah, I was actually going to bring up the student aid. I was, you know, an update on the Biden buck situation. I'm not saying that this is going to elicit a bunch of fraud, but it sure looks like it totally could be. Like all the information I had to put in was my name, my SSN, my date of birth and my contact information. And then I had to say, yes, I want you to give me money. Yes, I am who I say I am. And if they request it, I have to give them my income information by 2024. So two whole years, I guess more like a year and a half. But like anybody could come in here and fill this out. I get that it says I certify under penalty of perjury under the laws of the U.S. Merrick Garland is not going to prosecute you for filling out a form, uh, you know, saying you want student aid and you're not eligible. He's not going to he'll prosecute pro-life people 
but he's not going to prosecute, you know, somebody who fills out an errant form. So I, I don't know. And I still think like he's, I just he's certainly not going to prosecute the president's son who filled out an errant form. <laughs> no. So I just I'm look like I, I filled it out and I'll see what happens. And obviously I'll you know bring updates as they come. But I'm just like anybody could come in here and fill this out. And again, you know, they're only supposed to be giving money out to people who have student loans. But you just don't know that they'll actually abide by that after you see all these other abuses going on at DOJ. It's like, I, I don't trust that they're not just going to look up your party registration and hand out money to their donors. I don't know. You know, you're not you're not asking for my federal student ID. Um, you know, you're not asking for any like actual like I don't have to put my college in. I don't have to put my degree. I, I don't think- have to put when I graduated. None of that stuff. I think it was Charles Cook who pointed out that, yeah, you don't even have to put in uh, FSFASA information exactly. uh, or your Pell Grant information, like no identification, no, no identifying marks. And I'm kind of with you in the sense of this to me looks like COVID uh, fraud mm-hmm. all over again. That's what that's what it shouted out to me. I was I looked at this and I read about this. And we heard about just the millions upon millions of fraud that went out for COVID over the same thing. People requesting COVID loans over the same thing. And that's certainly what it sounds like it's going to be. And by 2024, we don't even know if this program is still going to be legal or constitutional. It could be struck down. So how do you recoup that money? And you're right in the sense of if thousands and thousands of people go in and apply for a $10,000 credit or whatever, how do you recoup that in two years? Well, we know they won't, just like COVID fraud. We know you're not going to recoup $20 million out of COVID fraud because it's just basically, it. you don't have the manpower to do it. And then you look at it and you say, okay, here's someone who took $100,000. Well, this person's on our radar. But then again, like you said, they'll look at the uh, race or immigration status and go, eh, that's just equity. So we're going to let that one go. Yeah, no, it's it's very shady to me. Um, but one thing I wanted to talk about was just, um, I know everybody was sharing that awesome Chris Hayes clip of him basically just like, you know, losing his mind on air. And it's going to be, I, my bet is on, he's the first one to cry on election night. I'd say there's about a 75% chance he, he has a couple tears on air and that will be hysterical. And I live for that. Um, but there was this how many, that I how many times you're over under on the amount of times end of democracy gets spoken on CNN and MSNBC that night, whatever the number is, you can <laughs> set the line anywhere. I'm taking the over. It's a thousand percent. But there's this clip that I don't think got as much uh, play that should have. It was this awesome Joe Scarborough clip, Liam Donovan. And he's just like, there's so much going on in this like three minute video. And the entire time, because he keeps saying, he says it like 10 times, he's like, keep this up on the screen. And it's the CBS poll um, that shows Biden's approval at 48.52. And it's a complete trash poll. But it shows, you know, he's underwater, but 48 is like the highest he's been since like he got inaugurated, basically. And he's like, he's like, I don't see any of this shit about, uh, you know, Democrats losing. He's he's basically playing into the I don't see a red wave, even though everything else is saying there's a red wave coming. And 
Then he goes on a rant about how Trump's economy was like the worst we've seen in like the past 20 years. And it's, I'm like, I'm just watching the clip and he's like getting like very angry. You can just tell by the way he's talking. And it's like, I don't think he does primetime coverage on election night on MSNBC, but if they like bring him on at some, at some point, there's about a 50% chance he ends up screaming at the camera, like screaming at MSNBC viewers for not voting or something. Because he was just like, it was the most unhinged thing. Like Joe Scarborough is an idiot and there's a lot of unhinged shit out there, but it's one of the craziest clips I've ever heard. Like it was just a serious amount of like cope. It, it would be like Steve Schmidt going on a rant about how uh, great Democrats are. It's just like absolutely insane. I, I mean, I'm pretty much just prepared to hear this is the end of democracy <laughs> over and over and over and over and over again, which, of course, the irony is it's how, democracy how is, how is an election the end of power. Right. How is the end of how is an election result in the end of democracy? And I've talked about how they've kind of they've tried to co-opt the term democracy to mean only them, which is ironically the antithesis of what democracy actually is. And everybody sees that they're doing this. Um, it's going to, it's going to be interesting the amount of, you know, like you said, like cope depending on how some of these races go, there's going to be a few where they're going to accept. But I think if, if, especially if Fetterman loses, and I think if obviously if Warnock loses, that's going to be it. You're, you're, you're going to see the roof of CNN just get blown to pieces. <laughs> Yeah, and I see more people are popping in the queue, so I'll, I'll be quick here. Uh, last two things. One, and somebody made, I wasn't, I didn't come up with this, but somebody made this point where election night could kind of be Ron DeSantis's night, depending on how much he wins by, because Florida is so good at counting their votes that there's a reasonable chance he's one of the first major races called. And like the Pennsylvania result, if we remember the primary, there's a decent chance we don't know until like Friday who won that, that, who wins that race, uh, unless it's just Fetterman gets blown out or Oz gets blown out. So like election night could be DeSantis's night where he, you know, he, he's playing on all the networks, giving his victory speech. So that'll be something to watch. And then uh, the last thing is just, I saw there is a Fox 29 Philly poll that has Oz and Fetterman tied at 46. Um, and then Shapiro up seven over Mastriano. And those both seem like very plausible results. So again, we're seeing this, you know, strong trend in the generic ballot and towards Oz generally. And then I just want to put out there the sleeper race out in Arizona, where if you look at, I looked at the past couple of years of polling, uh, RCP in 2018, underestimated Cinema by three. They overestimated Kelly by three last year or in 2020. And this year, Again, the last four polls, Kelly plus three, Kelly plus four, Kelly plus two, Kelly plus one. So I'm not saying Masters is going to win. I still say Oz will win, but I'm not saying Masters is going to win, but I'm saying there, there's a very good shot. I'd at least 50-50 right now. So uh, like I said, I just think everything is going the way that we thought six months. And even you can see the... Uh, these like major like data guys that are at, like New York Times, Washington Post, they're all like tweeting right now talking about how this looks more like six months ago than it does six weeks ago. And it's just a 
you know, some of us have been saying it for a while, so I'll get off, but have a, have a good rest of your night. Right. Thanks, Samuel. We only got two weeks. So like I said, it's going to be sink or swim for you. Uh, I'm going to jump up a couple of people here. Cause I know John, I cut John off a couple episodes ago. So I'm going to move John up. Let's see if I caught him off guard. Let's see if he's actually paying attention, but uh, I know I, I cut John off a couple episodes ago. So, uh, I'll just go ahead and bump you up. Go ahead. <clears throat> Thanks, Steve. I just want to, I want to jump on this Fetterman thing a little bit and talk about, you know, you, you were, you were, you were talking about this last week, all the people pushing Fetterman to do this, you know, he should not be a candidate, he should not be in the race. And there's all this talk about why he, he, you know, shouldn't be in the race any longer, but you know, this is the big thing and people forget this. In politics, it's about being the right person at the right time. This is his time. If he doesn't do it this year, he's done. And I just want to tell you about a, another race and how it relates to this. Summer Lee is a congressional candidate in the greater Pittsburgh area. Um, she's a Bernie Sanders socialist. She's going to become a member of the squad. If you don't know who that is, go do a little research. If John Fetterman doesn't win, the next time he comes back, he's running against Summer Lee in a primary. And the window for white males in a Democratic primary is shrinking more and more as the years go by. If he gets in a, Demo in a competitive Democratic primary down the line, they're going to portray this guy like he's Connor Lamb. He's done. If he doesn't do it here, this is it. So I just wanted to touch on it a little bit. I forgot the other things I wanted to say from last week, so I'll just jump out of the queue and let you have at it. Thanks, my friend. Yeah, I, I think that there's something to – I think that – somebody asked me, and I think I've already been over this, but whatever. Uh, what are the odds that he wanted to drop out after his stroke? And I'm talking like in the days. Because like, remember, he, he had a stroke, I think, like May 13th or something. And then he went under surgery and then he had recovery. And I'm thinking how much of him was just like, I'm not, I don't want to fucking do this now. Like I can't do this, like whatever. And how much of it is people around him, including Bride of Fetterman are pushing him to do it for whatever reason. It could be their own aspirations. I, I do kind of think in her case that that's possible. Um, although I'm one of these guys where I can't fathom to imagine this is your husband and father of your kids. And are you doing this? But if you read the Rolling Stone profile and, and this is where I kind of got pushed into that camp where she is clearly someone with stars in her eyes over this whole thing is if you read the Rolling Stone profile of her, it's not that it doesn't make her look good. It completely gives her kind of the lady Macbeth treatment. It shows her kind of, pretty much acting like this is her campaign. Like she's in charge of this and we just got to do it and we got to get him across. And I think that there's always maybe since his stroke set, I think there's this attitude that says, if we can just get you to win, I'll step in and I'll do whatever. And so you're I think that right what, you, what, what you mean about like, it's his time. You're right about that, but that's before he had a stroke and then he had the stroke, he had his health problems. And then it's like, Oh shit. Like, do you drop out? Because if you drop out, it was right after the primary victory over Connor Lamb. 
I, I don't know how Pennsylvania works, but I assume that Connor Lamb would be the guy that would step in and take that role. And Connor Lamb would probably be up on Oz more than Fetterman. And he'd certainly be running a more present campaign. And he certainly wouldn't be going to campaign events and just looking at the sky, you know, like wondering where he is. And so I certainly think that you, you're onto something about him prior to his health issue. But once the health issue struck, this became more about who around him wants him there. And so some, somebody, like I said, somebody asked me, how much do you really think he wants to be in this race? And I think I said, I think it's 75% people are pushing him. I don't think he wants anything to do with this. And you can kind of see that with him. Like he's very meek. He's very just whatever. And he's very much out of the way. It, it, even in, in the ads with his family, he just kind of looks like he's just there. Like, you know, and the, one of the reasons guys like me are harping on this, the whole thing is because it's not that he had the stroke. It's the honesty of his campaign with voters. And it's also like, you're fucking crazy for doing this. Like you have two kids, dude. Like you, your family's pretty well off. It's, it's not like you need the United States Senate for money. So I would be sitting here just going, you need to just go fucking recover and be there for your kids. And I think you're absolutely right. If that's your future in politics, that's your future in politics. That's what happens in life. Life throws shit at you. And there's nothing to say, like, down the road in, a, in an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez administration, he couldn't be Secretary of the Interior or some shit, like, in six years. So I do think there's legitimacy to what you're saying. And, and you're right about, you know, you run when it's your time. Uh, but I, I think more to the point, it's about who is, who really, did, did he just wake up from his stroke and go, well, I'm fine, let's go, let's get back on the campaign trail. And the doctors and everyone around him went, okay, yeah, he says he's great, let's do this. I, I think those of us who, if you don't mind. people who've been around medical stuff don't really see things that way. But I mean, I could be wrong, but that's the impression I got. And I really got it after I read her Rolling Stone profile. It She does not come off looking good in that. It, it 100% looks like she's the one pushing him through this. Well, I, I mean, you're, you're, you know, the other thing I just wanted to mention was, you know, He's been preparing for this for a decade or more. He didn't move to Braddock to become the mayor of Braddock. He moved to Braddock to be, make himself a United States Senate candidate. Everyone knows he's a trust fund baby. He's got the he's got the Harvard master's degree. And, you know, I don't know whether he wants it as much as the people around him or not, but he clearly cannot say no. And I just I, I think he's self-aware enough to know that if he doesn't do it here, that's it. Anyway, have a great evening. Thanks, John. Let's see. We got about twenty minutes. I'm gonna I'm gonna pretty much kill it at Little Red, either way. So we'll go. Just saying, Eric, Sheila, and Little Red, and we'll end it. Uh, yeah, Samuel touched on it earlier, but the thing I wanted to talk about, since this is a media podcast, is a uh, Chris Hayes act uh, that that in the in that clip that went viral on Twitter. I mean, is he vying for? the vacuum left behind by Brian Stelter of being just the most disingenuous or biggest a-hole, um, you know, g going as far as like acting. So, you know, reflexively above it, like, Oh my God, d democracy dies with the oil reserve getting opened. You know, it was just like, Oh my God. Chris Hayes has his act and he's going to stick to it. He's, he's, he's Keith Olbermann 
in classroom voice. I mean, and when you cut through his his whole show, Chris Hayes is who the base of the Democratic Party is today. Upper upper echelon, uh, elite level, educated, white progressives. That's who Chris Hayes is the avatar of who their party base is right now. And nothing that this guy ever really says surprises me. He's not really like a media guy, like say Brian Seltzer was. He doesn't really examine media. He is, he is a full-fledged apologist for whatever democratic administration is in power. He's, he's a ball player. Um, he's the guy who wrote the book, you know, the twilight of the elites a few years ago (laughs) and who knew he was talking about himself. Um, and for those of you who aren't in the know, basically Chris Hayes said on his show, that because not enough people care about saving democracy, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, that Biden is forced to deplete the strategic oil reserves to bring gas prices down for the election. So people are only voting on gas prices. And so because people, people like you, me, people in this audience, people, voters, whatever, don't care about saving democracy, Biden is forced to deplete the strategic oil reserves, which I also happen to believe is an impeachable offense, especially if he's doing it for political purposes, which they are basically just openly saying is the reason he's doing it um, when there's no need to be doing it. That's that's the thing here. There's we were we were a net exporter of energy in 2018, and now we're down to the lowest strategic oil reserves since the 1940s. So there's no reason for him to be doing this. I mean, all of us are just like, you can bring energy costs down. But again, he's Biden's being run by Susan Rice and the far left of his cabinet. And so he finds this not as not even an option. So Chris Hayes has to kind of buck up and be a good little camper and go on TV and, and, and try to find a reason for how nakedly political this looks. And so that's that's my impression of Chris Hayes. Chris Hayes is a ball player. He's he's here to basically keep Democrats in power, say whatever he needs to to keep his audience interested and keep their hopes up. Uh, the, the problem for Chris Hayes is there's just not much difference between what he's doing and what Seth Meyers is doing, for instance, these days. And then, uh, yeah, I, I just feel like he's turned it up to eleven. Uh, at least I think they've turned it up to 11 now. Wait until the night of November 8th. And this is always what's funny to me is, and this is kind of a phenomenon. And I think more people on the right do this than on the left is you are going to see a wholesale and it might be myself included are going to tune into whatever's happening on MSNBC and CNN on those nights. And the reason is, is largely the right gets an endorphin kick off of seeing these people just lose their ever-living minds. And people don't lose their ever-living minds on Fox News, because Fox News will have Brett Baer, Shannon Bream, whatever, just like they did for the election coverage. And so people don't really turn into Fox News to watch Brett Baer lose his shit because Trump lost, because they're professionals over there. And so what we've learned is if Democrats lose their election, whether it's 2016 or 2014, or this one coming up, every person who is a conservative right-leaning person is going to be watching MSNBC for the absolute entertainment value. Because you're, they're going to have on a panel, they're going to have Hayes, Maddow, Joy Reid, who probably will commit seppuku that night. And they will have the who's who. Probably Jen Psaki will be on that panel. 
you might even get someone from the dispatch. You might even get Steve Hayes, who's an, who's an NBC contributor, and you might get Chuck Todd. And then you'll go over to CNN and you'll have like Anna Navarro and Essie Cup, and they'll just be in absolute tears. The mascara is just running down her face. And that's an endorphin kick for people on the political right. It just is. It's like, hey, you know, maybe if you stopped lying to your audiences, this would be a little bit easier to take. And so if you think Chris Hayes is all out of sorts now, one of one of the reasons he's going to 11 is because he's not a stupid guy. Um, he, he knows what's going to happen. He knows he's seen polling. He's talked to pollsters. He sees what's going to happen and he knows he's pretty much powerless to stop it. So it's how can I spin our way out of this? And we're going to hear end of democracy voter. I guarantee you, Stacey Abrams is going to float voter suppression, despite what we're seeing in Georgia. And they're all going to nod along with it. And so if you think that he's notched it up to 11, like I said, go just tune in on, on that primetime show or the show after. Uh, I, I think Samuel's probably right that there's a good chance he's going to be the one to cry on it. Oh, my, my endorphins are up just, just off that description you just gave. I watched the Turks on purpose the night that Trump won because I knew <laughs> Trump was going to win. Yeah, and there's a great... That was, that was the Turks was... Yeah, the video... There's a YouTube great montage where it just yeah. shows the like the the every half hour of uh, Sank and Young Turks just losing their mind. Yeah, I <laughs> and, watched it. I mean, even 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 for guys like me, who's not a Trump supporter, not a Trump voter, even I can tell you, I can only get so erect by watching uh, Montana. And then I'll leave on these two. Um, uh, I just want to hear your take on – I'm going to give you both and I'll hang up. I want to hear your take on AOC's act last night at her uh, – at her whatever constituency event. And then um, Will – Nathaniel Hackett beat the lettuce. That's my other one. <laughs> and uh, I'll hang up. Uh, take it off there. Congresswoman Marks based. She's just, she's not a, she's not a congressperson. She's an activist. And she's not used to having that kind of thrown in her face. I said on my podcast, this is the second time she's been shouted down. And I honestly don't know how much of this shit's astroturfed or how much of it isn't. The first clip to me made her actually look sympathetic. Because you had one guy stand up and start shouting at her, and I'm like, oh, shit, okay. And then a second guy in the audience did. So it was clearly planned. And I get the point of her stunt, and, I, and I've said that I understand it was to kind of show her to be a hypocrite about, you know, you're supposed to – protest is, is made to make people uncomfortable. That's a direct quote from her. But you don't want to do something that makes someone who says that look sympathetic. And I thought those two guys just looked like assholes, basically. It's like, get them out of there. There was a clip now from – two or three nights ago where it was an entire group of people. And this one to me looked a little bit more, I want, I don't, I want to say uh, organic because there was an older lady and there was a few more and they were saying, she's got to go. So they all started chanting, Hey, Hey, ho, AOC has got to go. And she starts and sits on the stage and she starts just kind of dancing around to the drum. And that part, I was just kind of like, all right, what is she supposed to do? But then she threw on like the thick fake Puerto Rican accent she, oh, yo, listen, listen. And it's like, like, she sounds like every drug informant on Miami Vice. And that I just was like, what? This clip should be everywhere. How is it these fucking people get away with this? How does Hillary Clinton or even Kamala Harris or Mark Bay or any of these people just get away with just reverting and in, in going into a fake ethnic accent? Uh, whether she was just being exaggerated or not, but I mean... 
that's the one where she looks at just completely unprofessional. And I'm sure she'll go on IG tomorrow night and explain how she was just reverting to her abuela's roots or some shit. Um, the second one on Nathaniel Hackett. <laughs> uh, Willie beat the lettuce. So uh, anyone who needs that frame of reference. Liz Truss was just uh, resigned today after, what, 44 days of being PM of England. And someone in England, whether it was Sky News or it was a viral thing, put a head of lettuce on a table next to her photo and says, who will last longer, Liz Truss or the lettuce? And then earlier today, that person had put like a top hat on the lettuce and a disco ball lights around it. <laughs> and I, I mean, I guess the lettuce won. Who knows if it's an authentic trick? Um, in my perfect world, Nathaniel Hackett would have been gone two weeks ago. Uh, not because of the record. It's there's, and again, this is Broncos chat. Now this is versus sports. Um, it's not because of the record. It's because of, he clearly doesn't know how to be a head coach. Like I, I was looking at all these other head coaches. There's the, there's O'Connell in Minnesota that they could have had. He came from the Rams. There's McDaniel in Miami. There are all these new younger coaches and none of them needed to hire a babysitter to help with play calling or to help them get the plays out on time. And as I was watching my beloved Broncos, the fans at Mile High counting down the play co- uh, clock, I was just kind of like, oh, this is embarrassing. And so it's all of these mismanagement reasons that, to me, he should have been gone already. You can, you can do that. Four or five weeks in, you have a new owner. The ownership didn't hire him. And you can say, hey, we made a mistake. He's gone. Whatever. Uh, my, my solution is I'd like to see them promote Ichiro Evero to the head coach, who's the defensive coordinator. And you would suffice the, you, you would, you would service the Rooney rule by doing so. He's an African-American, uh, great mind. He came over from the Rams as, as I think the receivers coach, uh, he's going to be a head coach next year. He has the, the, the Broncos have the worst offense in the league and the best defense. <laughs> like something's going on here. Um, so, I, I don't see that happening. I think at worst, Hackett is a one and done. They'll let him finish the season, uh, and then they will let Russell Wilson come in and help them try to lure Sean McVay, although that's a mistake. I'd like to see them make Ejiro Evero head coach, and then I think they should be bold and bring back Mike Shanahan for the season and let him be offensive coordinator, special advisor. Let him sit up in the fucking booth and let him call the plays. That would be my solution, but uh, that, that team isn't really one to listen to me. So I still think Hackett makes out makes it out of the season so there you go that's the answer to the question i don't pick the questions i just answer them eric you're up and like i said we'll go eric sheelan little red to finish first of all as a californian i am just uh i'm just here to be entertained by the pennsylvania senate race i just i, I just love the uh the picture of uh fetterman on the tarmac just like looking like just a warm body on the tarmac it, it was just he wasn't very he didn't delicious. even look like a warm body that was that was the thing. He didn't even look yeah. like a warm body. I mean, I'm not. I don't. I'm not even talk, like. I'm not even talking about his suit or the lump on his neck. I don't really care about. I care what the lump is. I care if that's what people have suggested it could be. But yeah, he's just in the back. This is the Senate candidate who's in a tight race, and you think he'd be up there and shaking hands? And I said it today on the podcast. People with a stroke. How does he even know what a handshake is? Like, there's a there's a pretty decent possibility if, if Biden reaches out to shake his hand, he doesn't know what to do in that situation. He doesn't know what a hand he doesn't know what a handshake is. That's just the disability. It's not him. It's not 
we're clowning on him because we're clowning on the state of American politics and the fact that they're actually trying to tell us there's nothing wrong with this guy. And just you see him on the tarmac and he's just in the background. He's just not there. He's, he's just like on a leash for his. Yeah. Um, just on a sort of quasi like media thing i was uh i i live in uh katie porter's sort of or at least the district that she's running in now uh, out here in southern california and it's and she was always like and she was like sort of the second tier i want to say squad but just like sort of like the yes queen like brigade on msnbc there was a push there was a push to have her run for president in 2020 yeah for president Yep, and 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 she, I think when I, from like the papers here in Orange County, like she was, uh, she was like sort of one of the favorites for uh, Senate for two Senate seats that are up for re-election this year. I mean, but she didn't run for that. Um, but it's just sort of interesting, like to sort of see, because like, I can't watch TV for more than like thirty minutes without seeing one of her ads. I mean, she must be emptying her whole like uh war chest on this uh, on this midterms be and what i find interesting is, is that um it just like shows like maybe like the media sort of insularity is that all of her ads like about fighting inflation for gas prices as we like i think we're hitting about 650 a gallon here in california and all of them are like would actually make gas prices go higher as part of the solutions that she says that she's fought, uh, that she's fought for. And, um, I just wanted to, I just thought that was a pretty interesting to sort of see in like, and her, every other ad is about, um, abortion and, um, you know, I'm pretty pro-life, but I'm just sort of thinking if I'm the average family that lives any more than like four or five miles away from where I work, like I'm caring a lot more about six fifty gas than I am about abortion. I just uh, just wanted to see maybe what your thoughts were about just sort of how maybe the sort of the sort of yes queen type of the worship of politicians um, has maybe hurt them in uh, in places even where you're like you're supposed to be somewhat liberal here in in Southern California. Uh, the, cer- the certainly the kid glove treatment has hurt them, and we see what we see what happens when candidates are even given even an, an an inch of pressure put on them by who they think should be you know friendly media. Pelosi does this a lot. Pelosi just acts incensed whenever you know a reporter just bluntly wraps her across the raptor claw. Um, to what you're saying, Intelligencer, which is New- which is New York Magazine. Um, it's newsletter, Dave Wasserman of Redistrict. And Dave Wasserman is a pretty popular, I think he's the guy who always says, I've seen enough. And he calls races. U.S. House editor of the nonpartisan Cook Political Report with Amy Walter, and I think Amy's great. Nerd for polling maps, whatever, data, ski slope, tattoos, whatever. Has seen enough. So that confirms it. Dave Wasserman is saying she's in trouble. Says uh, Dave Wasserman on the forbidding landscape for Democrats, why even big names like Katie Porter and Sean Patrick Maloney may be in trouble in the muddled state of political polling. That's a conversation uh, he has with real uh, uh, Benjamin Hart. I'm not going to go into the piece. You can certainly go read it. But yeah, yeah, if they're sounding the alarm on someone like Katie Porter, um, we could be in for a night that we haven't seen, not even since 2014, when it was the largest swing. I think it was 73, 75 seats 
it was the largest swing of power since World War II from one party to the other. And that was famously when uh, Obama said he got shellacked. And even they weren't expecting that big of a wipeout. And uh, another interesting stat, uh, Dan McLaughlin, baseball critic from National Review, noted from this piece is that 70% of Republican challengers in the most vulnerable Democratic state seats are women, minorities, and or veterans. 38% of those candidates are military veterans, 34% are women, and 23% are non-white. And as I kind of snarked on Twitter, if you think that it's a coincidence that when all of these bald, fat, old white guys decided to jettison themselves spaceball style out of Mega Maid uh, from the GOP, it suddenly became younger and more diverse. Uh, I can assure you that those two things are related. Yeah, yeah definitely agree there. Um, as a person who's getting a, uh, a new puppy in a, in a, in a month, uh, any sort of uh, advice on how to uh, stay sane? <laughs> Uh, during the first uh, few months or so. It's inflation. You can't go out and get a pup. What are you doing? Um, what kind of puppy is it? It's an Australian Shepherd. Uh, so you're going to be... <laughs> That's the first thing. Um, I don't know. Is it the first time you've ever gotten a puppy? Is it your very first one ever? Yeah, it's like, yeah, my fir- yeah, my first puppy, yeah. Um... So, Australian Shepherd is going to be kind of floppy. Um, the the thing is is to get it on a schedule. So, and if you're getting it from a breeder, they'll have it. So, you basically take it out to pee at seven. Then, you know, m- my dogs are crate trained, and I recommend crate training for everybody. So, your puppy. This is kind of the thing: is you have to be available to bond with it, but you also have to be there to crate it. So, and I know I'm starting a whole heated debate by even going into crating, but uh, crate training, both of my dogs saved their lives, like quite literally saved their lives. Um, so you kind of put it in the crate and then you bring it out for playtime and then feed and then you put it back in the crate and pee uh, and you basically just repeat that for about six weeks and then you slowly make the crate bigger. And so the whole idea behind that is you're giving it a den. It's not punishment. You're giving it like a safe space. And then also it teaches it not to basically pee and poop in the house. Um, so it's, it's a fine line between giving it attention and ho- making sure it fits into your home to, that is safe. And Australian Shepherds, the ones that I know, like anyone I know who has a dog like that, they don't leash it or crate train it. <laughs> They're just like, <laughs> this is my hiking animal. Um, so, funny. I mean, if it's your first yeah. puppy, just be patient. It's the first, it's hard. It's, it's, yeah. it's not like, you know, whenever you say it's like having a kid, I know it's not that, um, and people who have kids get insulted by that, but it's, it requires patience. And the, the thing you'll learn then by like six months in is that you're going to be like, where the hell did the puppy go? Like it's gone. Like <laughs> it's pretty much baked and it's already grown up and it's going, um, so my recommendation is to crate train. There's, you keep it on a pretty rigid schedule about, you know, when to feed, when to water, uh, when to pee, and then of course pee pads. And then there's also, uh, something that's a, just a great thing I, I recommend to people and you can get them off Chewy or even, I don't know if you can get them at like PetSmart, but you get like a big patch of grass that just goes into a room in your house. Oh, I've seen that, that. Yeah. And that's where you potty train and it gets a little smelly after about 
three weeks, but you just get a new one, just ship it, get it auto shipped. And I did that for my, for my second one. And it just saved a ton where it just, it, they learned to kind of potty train on that grass. And then if they're good, they'll go in and they'll find it on their own. So that's yeah. really my own advice. Just crate train it. Are you bringing it into like a family or is it just like you, or is it like you and a partner or what? No, just, just, uh, just me. So okay. I, I live like a mile away from work and I'm like, I also can work hybrid, so it's not like that big yeah. of a deal where I can, I can at least check in on it like every two or three hours. So yeah, yeah, man. I mean, you're 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 in for an adventure for the first couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, uh, my, I mean, the second one I got, uh, it was so much easier, and I, people say that with kids too. Like my first one, I had no fucking idea what I was doing. Um, I'm like, like my first one got aspirational pneumonia, and I thought the solution to that was to just down it with water. And I learned that I almost drowned her when I did that. Um, so there's, you're going to have just this, these, these things that happen and whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you, if you can crate train it and that's the thing is like a lot of people just, like you said, if you're working, you'll just put it in the bathtub with some food. Well, if you crate train, then you can like leave it there. You can, you can leave it in the crate for about two to three hours. Right. And then the other thing you need to know is you put up a divider. So you don't put it in, the, in a big crate. You put a divider up. So you make the space pretty small at first where you put in a toy and enough room for it to sleep. And then as the weeks go on, you move the divider back. And so and you can, of course, Google all of this stuff. But um, if, you, if it's on you and it's just on your own, and like I said, people will be creating is, is cruel. No, you're, you're creating a den. A, a, a dog is like a wolf and animal. It needs a den. So it needs a place that's dark and it can go in and it can just relax and feel non-stressed. And so that, that's my biggest recommendation. Also, get it insured before you pick it up you know these are pretty like active healthy dogs um so yeah. you know whether it's insured or not is probably not the end of the world but i learned that with my first frenchie just a uh, one less quarter baked idea for when you have like an emergency kennedy appearance yeah uh if you could have like maybe like a blooper uh a blooper uh sort of um file that you can drop or like a uh Frenchy reaction video to when you uh to when you uh either yell at the cat or yell at the dogs I, I, that it always uh, it always cracks me up when you have to like correct the dogs and like you know when you ask the when you ask one of your dogs that they're having a moment that uh, I, I I'm dying yeah when I, when I, when I, I try I try to cut yeah I try to cut all of that stuff out but there's times when, so, I mean, to give you an idea, I'm on a desk, I have my Mac on my desktop, I have my microphone and I have everything. And then I have a bed on the floor here and, uh, I have one that doesn't really bark and one that's kind of the guard dog. And of course the smaller, older one's the guard dog and, or if she's snoring or just whatever, there's times that I'm on a great thought or I'm, uh, I'm on a great clip on like the podcast and I don't want to have to start over cause I think I'm going to lose it. And that's usually when I'm just like, can you fucking stop? Are you done? Um, and then of course, or you hear the cat in the background or whatever. So that's usually only when it's like, it's really, I know I'm on a good thought and I don't want to lose it. And like I said, I, I get distracted very easily by background noises and noises around me and stuff like that. And so if, if she starts snoring or if they start fucking around or whatever, I've just, I, I lose it sometimes. And plus it, it also just leaves it in there, let you know, we're not. I'm not like a complete studio production. I'm an, I'm an independent, I'm an independent artiste. And so th those things are going to kind of happen. And so I, t today on the podcast, for some reason, there was a backwards clip. I had no idea this happened. 
So I, I, I rendered the file, created the MP3, listened to it. So I'm like, okay, no, there's no skips or anything. Uploaded it. And then I usually look at comments right off the bat to see. And someone went right at the seven minute mark. It's like it goes full exorcist. And I was like, what's he talking about? And so I go and I play the seven minute mark and I'm like, it's and I was like, what the fuck? So I go, I go and I look at the file and I don't know what's wrong with the file. It's like literally the audio at the point where I said they're going to take Fetterman out in the woods and shoot him. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's an omen that, you know, I shouldn't like be screwing around with this close to Halloween and with Frankenstein. So we'll see. Uh, Eric, I'm going to, I'm going to jump off and meet Sheila. So good luck with the pop. Let us know how it's going. Sounds good. All right. All right. Cheers. Uh, Sheila, I meant to take you this time. So, so let it rip. Oh, Hey, I, I just wanted to say, I think I'll hire you. You're hired for media treatment and media training. Maybe you can get me to pee on the paper. No, <laughs> media wise. Yes. I, you are definitely someone <laughs> who needs to be crate trained. That's definitely something that I can already tell. And just like every two weeks, we'll move the divider back. <laughs> I mean, no, you are not someone I'm letting off. You are not someone now, I'm right? letting off the leash to wander around the house. So oh. <laughs> maybe eventually. Just don't rub my nose in it. That's all. May, maybe eventually I'll let you sleep at the foot of the bed. Oh, okay. Um, did you know that, that Colin now has video capability? Uh, I know that it's in beta. They've uh, asked me about it. Uh, I haven't responded to it yet. So I do know that uh, at least last checking that it was in uh, beta. I hope I'm not on video because that would look really weird. I don't know how much I'm up for doing it because, I mean, when I'm doing this, it's, it's, I mean, this is like my second job in a way when I do these. So it's like I, I've recorded, I've podcasted, I'm hot, I'm sweaty, I'm smelly. Uh, I've smashed a beer bottle over my head. I'm just kind of, you know, when I do these at night, I'm in the, I'm, I have my desk light and it's dark and I'm ready to wind the day down. And like my hair looks like shit and, you know, like whatever. Um, I'm, I'm pale from last night's whatever drunkathon. And so I, I generally don't, my first reaction is to say no, because I like, I like this being casual. Like, when I'm doing this and I'm talking to people, it's like a phone conversation. I don't want to mm-hmm. have to, you know, FaceTime with people like I'm, you know, Bo Burnham and my mom. Um, <laughs> so, so I know they have it. I know they asked me about it. Uh, my my first reaction is to just go fully no, but maybe down the road, uh, you know, once I've lost like five more pounds from doing aggressive core training, then maybe down the road I'll do it. But I, I just look like so fucking sloppy when I do these. Um, so my, my first reaction is to just, no, no, we're not going to be doing video here. Yeah. That, that also just blunt. seems, that also seems weird that I would be sitting here like talking, like, what do I do? I put my phone up on a ring light and then I sitting here poking my phone and you guys are seeing me like hit the buttons and stuff. And then I'm my facial tics and my reactions to what you guys are saying, um, which is for the <laughs> most part positive. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't foresee myself doing that anytime soon. They need to get the audio glitches fixed before I even consider video. Yeah. Yeah. The, when you go robotic. Yeah. And and uh, where people just kind of drop out and then, you know, there's you, certain audio. Have you have you used the video feature on Colin? I have not. But I can tell you the incels are already into it. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm telling you, they're, they're there, man. They were the first up to like, I'll, I'll, I'll be on cam. I'll be on camera. <laughs> so, so yeah, I don't even know if it's person to person. Like if it's like a split screen or something like that. No, they um, have, they have men in a box. You could do it. I, I'm sure. Cause you did men on a box in, uh, in, in, on Kennedy. So you could totally do it. Oh, wonderful. Uh, I'll, I'll have You'd have to it. shower, but yeah. you know, <laughs> but you could do yeah. men in a box. Well, I don't want to. So, huh? That's interesting. I don't I'll, have to look, do I'll have to look at it, but my my initial thing is no. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be doing video unless like they demand it. It's like you have to stop doing this whatsoever unless they absolutely demand it. Then, as of now, no, because this is like I said. It's the end of the night. It's like 9 p.m. Uh, I'm ready to pass out in my clothes on the floor, and I, I just have no desire to do it. Okay. So we'll keep it at phone call. The other thing I was going to talk to you about, because I saw David Sachs on video eating ramen. <laughs> That's what I, I saw him doing something human um, on, was, on Colin. He was and just like sitting back, just chilling, did it, it had his bare feet up on the desk or something? No, no. He was just, you know, wearing his North Face, like, camel jacket, you know, and a ball cap. He looked like a typical tech guy. He's just trying to eat. <laughs> he's eating while doing call it like i've thought about that and just like when i'm muting just like digging into some like chips or something and i'm just like no because i'm gonna have to hit the button real fast so uh, i Jesus. thought at first it was a salad honestly oh. but then but then he pulled the bowl the, this large ramen bowl out so he's just then... crunching away on ramen while on the phone yeah. call <laughs> yeah he's like he's like testing out the video capability like this is amazing you know, just, oh, God. <laughs> I'll take his money though. I'll take his money. Yeah. In do, which do case, you want to go in on a nonprofit and, uh, you know, I, I'll make you one of those uh, board members and we'll get his capital gains cash. Yeah. Right. That'll <laughs> last the whole six months. That'll last six months until Lorenz figured until Lorenz hears about it. <laughs> and then what, what's she going to do? What's she going to do to me? Uh, I, I, I do not uh, going after her is meddling with powers. You cannot possibly comprehend. No, I think I've got Glenn Greenwald in, in the Kana, and I think we at least you and he and me are a majority. So I think we should just unite and become a giant Cerberus and kick her ass. Yeah, or she just wears out her welcome where she is. I mean, I noted on my podcast with this piece by Ben, Ben Smith from Semaphore Notes, like you're not really hearing about all the internal drama anymore at the New York Times. Uh, you're not hearing about all this, you know, co-workers' lives are in danger every day and they're afraid to come in and And the defamation whatever. suits. And, and yet now, almost instantly, then when she went over to the Washington Post, all of that stopped at the New York Times. And now all you hear about is all the internal drama happening at the Washington Post. I mean, it's not that difficult to put two and two together here. Hmm. Well, I mean, I don't have a ton to, to say to that, but... I, I need to aggrandize my own fortunes. How do you plan on on uh, maxing out on this new? This I'm going to call it a service. It's Musk, and then uh, Truth Social, and then we've got uh, Parlor, and then we also have this this uh, David Sachs and this New Republic. I I am deeply disinterested in Taylor Lorenz. I haven't written a, a I mean read a single thing she's ever written. That's how irrelevant she is to me. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, I know she's, she's she's given as much power as social media platforms give her, and that's I'm generally disinterested in her as well. But 
uh, that, I mean, this is someone who can organize entire media campaigns to come after private citizens. And for some reason, her influence, for some reason, her editors and her bosses are terrified of her. And I don't know if it's her family name and money. I don't know if it's because she thinks that she's more influential social media wise. Uh, I don't know if it's because she knows where all the bodies are buried. I think that's part of it. Um, but, uh, she is someone who is deeply uninteresting, uh, but for some reason has been granted an awful lot amount of power due to the, you know, the corporate media structure. And I think that that's, that's Mm -hmm. either the problem or that's, what's the most fascinating thing about it. Is well, why? I think, like where? I, I don't what? Know what? How? How did this person? How did this person? To, to to a press agent becoming a menacing uh, vehicle against a, a publican. I don't know why that makes sense. It doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I think what's interesting is she claims to know a lot more about tech and media than she actually does. I I still to why this do you day, believe that? Because I don't believe anyone in corporate media understands what the internet is or what it's supposed to be. Um, they believe their role, when, when, if you take a role at a place like the Washington Post, as opposed to, say, starting your own Substack, for instance, you look at what Barry White, look at what Barry White did with Substack. She, she leaves the New York, New York Times, she starts a Substack, and for about a month, it's just her. But now she's bringing in writers. She's basically created her, her own news outlet just by bringing in writers to write about interesting stuff. And then the other thing you learn about in the semaphore piece is like basically New York Times is stealing her stories. She'll write about something and then two days later, a, a, the same story with a different angle will appear in the New York Times. This was about the uh, the dog killer in Park Slope uh, where this African-American guy like just killed a, killed a dog uh, of one of the residents and they didn't want to punish him. I think he's a homeless guy and he still is just wandering around this park. And they don't want to punish him because of equity and inclusion, and they don't know how to react to it. And it's like tearing this community apart when it's the obvious answer is throw his fucking ass in jail, like or just shoot him. I'm fine with that. Um, and so you see, like how the whole story is about you know progressive wokeness and how people it just blinds you to what the obvious common sense <laughs> uh, solution is. And then two days later, it, like popped up in the New York Times, a neighborhood torn apart or whatever. So anybody to me who is still on the Lorenz beat on tech media and they're doing it on behalf of, and they're working in an outlet like the Washington Post means they're not really doing it to advance the cause of journalism. They're doing it to basically advance the cause of corporate media censorship. Anyone is. Lorenz could leave the Washington Post tomorrow and open up a Substack, and she would she would be one of the highest earners on there because of the audiences she draws from that, you know, that well. Uh, okay. But there's a reason why she's not doing it, because she doesn't have any power if she does that. If if she goes to Substack, right, and let's say she she tries to write the story that she did about libs of TikTok, for instance, everyone will read her story. It'll be like, huh, that's interesting. But she has no power. If, if you're writing for Jeff Bezos in the Washington Post, you have the weight of a million dollar media conglomerate behind you that will defend you and your work. And if that work is getting people kicked off Twitter or deplatformed, that's the power behind them. Lorenz herself is in power. Someone like Ben Collins, there's a reason why he does this shit at NBC News. Because again, you have an entire media conglomerate backing you up. 
And that's where, you know, you talk about, you don't, you don't see the big deal or anything like that. And that's when I say I do, because that's dangerous. And this is to me, how corporate media is trying to basically return to gatekeeping. And they really thought they lost it there from basically 2014 to 2018. Uh, And then they basically convinced a whole swath of social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook that you need fact checkers and you need news, you know, algorithms. You need all of this stuff because it's the end of democracy. It's Russia. And Facebook and Twitter got scared enough to go, okay, no, you're right. And to the point of now where those platforms are pretty much exist just for journalists, while platforms like, say, Colin or Substack or even I would even still argue Patreon. Patreon's managed to stay pretty ideological consistent i know that they've booted conservatives off that platform as well but uh these platforms have managed to stay completely independent and that was the whole point of the new republic pieces here's one that isn't getting enough attention and so now we're going to go after colin we're going to go after david Sachs. so i i think he's he's got a good plan to to because he's got some semblance of immunity and there are other forces in the marketplace that that can check uh, media. Media is also, um, I don't know, they kind of are at the mercy of a crappy ad model. Do you follow me? Like the, Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. It's the entire corporate media model went to the buzzfeedification buzz is what I call it, of corporate media, which is, uh, it, was, it wasn't about the quality, it was about the quantity and how many eyeballs and how fast you can get people to click on an article when the substance of it doesn't even really matter. It's a listicle is going to bring in as much ad revenue as a story about the CIA murdering Muslims in Baltimore, for instance, you know? And so that's, that's why I call it the buzzfeedification of media. So if Taylor Lorenz is the star player of, of, of a buzzfeed driven, uh, Unit, let's put it that way. Um, wouldn't you think that a different business model is going to have a different type of charge? She is only as good as the clicks that she's going to yield from her work. I don't know how deep her work is. She, she uh, writes about things that deep. look like cake that aren't actually cake. Basically it. Um, and then she tries to get people that she doesn't like kicked off YouTube. And that's basically it. I would, Sheila, I would go read Ben Smith's piece about the New York Times at Semaphore because it's, this is exactly what it talks about. It talks about how the New York Times is gearing more towards becoming a tech company, not an old newspaper. Like the newspaper now is, you know, we always joke that it's bird lining. That's pretty much what it is now. The New York Times is branching out and spending millions on podcasting and bringing in tech and things like that. And partnerships with Spotify and partnerships with Instagram and partnerships with Facebook. And that's what the New York times is doing. And the Washington post isn't really doing that. Jeff Bezos is keeping it kind of down a classic model while trying to engage on, you know, places like Twitter and and Facebook. And if you look at, and Ben was part of that environment. So he knows what he's talking about, whether you agree with what he's saying or not. But that's kind of the point of the article is about like well, how the New York Times is making hand over fist money and the mm-hmm. Washington Post is losing money as as well as some of the other traditional outlets. The Atlantic is losing money and the Atlantic is trying to do the same thing. It brought on 
you know, several ideologically same kind of writers and it's doing newsletters and it's kind of plodding along. It's trying to figure out the model. And the Washington Post is trying to figure out the model while the New York Times is out here basically redefining it. And it's still redefining it in those terms of, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion and stuff. Um, but it, the shift that the New York Times is making is is one that more people, to me at least, should be paying attention to. I'll give you a last word, and then I want to get to Little Red, and then I want to go to bed because, like I said, I'm, you know, whatever here in my smoking jacket and my hair. And your hair. Um, I mean, all of those insights are really interesting and good, um, but I don't, I don't think that the New York Times should be a tech company. Uh, that's my opinion, and I, I think that the people who are legacy readers of that publication wouldn't want it to be a tech company. But if it is a tech company and, and if that's what it's becoming, then I would say that Colin is is a competitor. And that's how I would exactly how I would. Say I would. It. I would. That's I would my, agree with that's that. That's my producer. She's. I would agree with that. She's I would meowing me out of the closet here. I would agree that Twitter is a competitor because Twitter is doing Twitter Spaces now and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I would agree that that I would agree that that's at least how the New York Times sees it. Well, uh, you know, then you have as much you know leeway and or more than maybe even Taylor Lorenz could have if this platform, if Colin and other platforms like it are are becoming more developed, maybe with an, a Substack integration, so that there can be a writing combined with video and or podcast well, now you just create now you just created now you just created patreon okay that's a joke <laughs> that's a joke sheila wrap it up oh, okay <laughs> all right that was the last word I, I, all right i'm out all right it's always fun sheila all right thank night. you all right uh little red bring us home don't make this all not worth <laughs> our time all the pressure's on you go ahead can you hear me okay Yep, you're clear. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm using my Bluetooth, so you never know. Um, so I want to go back to the surreal nature of how um, Fetterman and Biden are being cool. Covered. Hey, and guess what just guess what just happened here on Twitter just about twenty some odd minutes ago. You, everyone who wants to talk about this, t- actually, it was four hours, but I did. I was not aware of this. Giselle Barreto Fetterman's Twitter account. Here to confirm the M&Ms are absolutely a real thing and in my to-go bag. Giselle Fetterman pictured on Air Force One with Joe Biden. Go ahead. Oh, Jesus. So my aunt had to take my grandmother's keys away from her. And I had to take my mother's keys away from her. And I'm just watching what looks like rampant abuse of these two people. And it's really upsetting to me. And is it just be, I, I understand the political angle, but is it really because all of the reporters are just like youngins whose parents are healthy and they don't see what's happening? I think all of today's younger reporters just care about the Democratic Party holding the Senate. And I, and I don't think it's much more beyond that. I, I do think that the Biden situation and the Fetterman situation are different. And I've said so in the sense of, we have a medical diagnosis with Fetterman. We, we know that he suffered an actual thing. We know that he's afflicted by an actual right. thing. We know what it is. We've been told what it is. We have not seen how serious it is. We don't know the lasting effects or if there's other things happening because he won't release his medical records. 
Uh, with Biden, it's different. In Biden, it's more speculative. It's we don't really know if he's had a health episode. We all have eyes and ears. We all, we all, you can even go back to 2016 and see Biden and you just see that whether it's cognitive or it's just age, it could just be fucking age. The guy's 80 years old. Um, he's, he's, and that's... he's, he, Biden is as old now as Reagan was leaving office. I mean, you have to kind of put some of these things in perspective and everyone knows what people were saying when Reagan left office. And so it's uh, whether or not we see it going on, whatever, um, with Biden, it's speculative and it's fun and it's like, oh, he's he's just went the wrong way again. OK, see you later. Um, it's silver alert. It's not with, funny with, anymore. With, Fetter, with Fetterman, <laughs> it's it's so much more serious in my thing because we know that like him running and him becoming a senator is actually going to put his life in danger. Like we we know that he right. might not live out a six year term and the odds of that happening are, are very slim to none. And when you say that to like you say 20 some odd journalists, they just shrug and they go, eh. It's better than Oz. That's better than that. It's better than the end of democracy, so it's worth it. The thing is, is that my mom never had a diagnosis either. I just had a close-up experience with what was going on with her. And I remember sitting down with one of my friends who's very far left, and she had the exact same reaction as I did. And this was in 2019, before the primaries were done. And we were just like, this dude is old. He needs to go home and hang out with his family and it's just very upsetting to me it really is and their their calculation was uh i mean to me biden is a president of circumstance um people will argue that only donald trump could have beaten hillary clinton and then other people argue that only Biden could have beaten Trump given the circumstances and COVID gave Biden the circumstances to where it was easy for him to just kind of campaign like Max Hedrum. And, <laughs> and he, he was able to win with, 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 without facing very many tough questions on anything given either whether it's his gaffes, it's his mental slips, it's uh, the fact that he tried to bite off his wife's finger on a campaign trail, which is one people memory hold. Um, whatever it is, he, Biden is a president of circumstance. Uh, and I looked at it and said, of course, there, there is an effort to keep him away. He's done fewer interviews than any president in modern history. We know why part of that is the verbal gaffes. The other part of it is we do see some kind of condition here. What, whatever it is, we don't know. It could just be old man brain. His brain could just be applesauce. Uh, he himself could have had a stroke and it's not being disclosed. Um, he could have a form of, you know, sundowner syndrome that we're not being told about. And uh, anyone who thinks that that's beyond the pale of the media hasn't been paying attention. You can go back to FDR where they, the media themselves basically covered up his health condition. It was easier back then because all you had to do was just not write about it in a newspaper. Um, and anyone who thinks that the media isn't going to do that, you don't know how they're thinking in the sense of Trump could very well walk back into the Oval Office in two years. And so, again, as I've talked about, it's a combination of one, their agenda bias. Two, it's they don't want four more years of Donald Trump no matter what. And three, it's basically, it's just, we, you, you don't have the right to know. And so again, like I said, you have your eyes and ears. People have said this, people who have worked with, you know, aphasia and stroke or stroke patients, as well as dementia and stuff. See, they say they see all the signs. I've never dealt with that in my life. So 
I don't really see that. And a lot of the time I'm clowning on it, but it's funny when you look up some of the symptoms of dementia and whatever, Biden has them. And there's a yep. reason this dude is hidden away for days at a time. And so we all joke about it. It's like, well, he has good days and bad days. Um, but this idea that he's totally lucid and totally fine all the time, it's not so much concerning when we see him. What's concerning is how is he behind closed doors and how is he with world leaders? And we saw that. We saw that at the G7 where he just was in outer space. He was wandering over here and then he's in the room and he's forgetting the names of people. And so, again, when you say, is it the 20-something journalists? Well, no, it's all of them. They're, they think their goal is to protect democracy and that means hiding from voters whatever health condition Joe Biden has. Right. Well, it's, I don't have anything particularly intelligent to say. I just, it's so, I've never seen something so blatant and upsetting. And we clown about it. Yeah, sure. It's not funny anymore. Like you said, what what is he like with world leaders? Like, <laughs> well, we're being told so... we're on the brink of nuclear war. So I know, right? And, you know, everybody's <laughs> kind fuck? of wondering how... <laughs> you know, how we ended up here. And I just got to shrug and go, I don't know, man, look at the, look at the empty guy swiveling around in the Oval Office chair, I guess. Um, Apparently like there's huge pictures of himself all over the white house, which is something you do with dementia patients. Yeah, no, there's all these little things like that (laughs) where if, if it isn't because of that, it certainly leads to questions as of why, um, and, and again, there's another one. The other one that he does is he always tells the exact same stories or misstatements or yarns. And and Noam Blum, who's Neon Taster on Twitter, has done a good job yeah. of keeping track of these. Like he tells the story of the deer not needing Kevlar or he tells the story about his son, Bo, dying in Iraq. Or he, he just he always tells the exact same anecdotes. And that's another sign of dementia. That's basically a patient's brain dumping loads of information in, in order to deal with this disease and only holding on to the to the few things that it's doing. And so th- there are these things there that nobody's making them up here, you know, and, it, it's, and it's, more, so it's, more, it's more disturbing than him just not being able to find his way off a stage. Um, calling out to a dead woman and things like, you know, there's things like that where. Yeah, it's genuinely concerning. And yes, I do think that there's going to come a day, it could be in three, four, five years, where we're going to learn, oh yeah, Joe Biden actually wasn't all there. He actually was in early stage, da-da-da-da. And then it's going to not matter to the media. Just like John Fetterman's stroke is not going to matter to the media should he win. It's just get him in there, get him to get up and go, all right, you know, when there's a A vote, and that's all we need. That's all we care about. That's all we need. And yeah, I I mean, I'm with you. The Fetterman (laughs) thing is more surreal than Biden because Biden was so gradual. Like we've seen it. We've seen it for years and years and years. But the the fact he's always been a good fact that they're trying to tell you that this guy who suffered severe cognitive brain damage, I'm fine. And he's fine. And the fact that they're just doing this to your face, it it should be, I said this on the podcast, it should just be insulting to you. It should be insulting to you as not even as a Pennsylvania voter. It should be insulting to you as just someone, as as a media and news consumer that they're actually trying to look you straight in the face and say, John Fetterman is no different than needing a pair of glasses. And yeah, I mean, Godspeed to them. It makes me, it makes someone like me, uh, have a job so i'm glad that they keep doing it 
Um, but again, I, I've never seen from, from going to, he, ha, he didn't have a stroke. He's fine to, why are you mentioning his stroke? Uh, shut up bigot to, uh, his wife is a de facto candidate to today. Oz questioned that on the radio. And now he has media going after him for how dare you, sir. And you just see this shit happening in real time. And you just kind of, you have to shake your head at it and push back against it. So, yeah, well, that's really all I had to say. Um, so Thank you. I It is good to hear from people with personal experience. And that's that's kind of the point of why I do. So I, like I said, I, I personally have not dealt with dementia in my family. I'm lucky for that. Uh, except for sometimes like me on a Monday morning, which is what, you know, waking <laughs> up on the lawn. Um, I'm sure your dogs will get there at some point. <laughs> <laughs> they drag me back in. Um, so but that's one of the point of why I do this. So I have people who have like, you know, like you said, you've had it in your family and yep. you see this and then you see this guy doing this and it's the same thing. Um, and, and it's a good, when, when you hear from people who've had that experience, um, it, it clues the audience in and it clues me in as to like, you know, what's really happening and why we're obviously being deceived on some level. Uh, I, I don't I don't think, you know, Joe Biden's going to disappear off the face of the earth tomorrow. Uh, but there clearly is something there. Um, but as I said with Trump, we are the country that chose to elect him. So buy the ticket and take the ride. And uh, we may end up doing it again in the in the great state of Pennsylvania. Oh, Jesus. Well, the reason why I had to take my mom's keys is because she kept getting lost. Yeah. Well, there's also probably a reason they don't let <laughs> Joe Biden drive anymore either. Right. Exactly. So. She like she had been living in the house that she was living in for 25, 30 years. And she got lost on the way to the VA hospital three times, which is has not moved. It's in the same place. <laughs> and I was like, OK, mom, you can't drive anymore. And that's what I see when I see Joe Biden wandering off the stage. It's just, yeah, so... I mean, my thing is, is I, he has a cabinet meeting and I would just like to be in that room and say, sir, can you go around the table and name all of these people without, pla without name placards? Um, yeah. Like just something that basic to me, just like, just go around the table and name, name who, who is that guy and what is his title? And if he can't do that automatic 25th amendment, see you later. Yep. And we'll run our, we'll run our chances with Kamala for a year. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> You thought it was all bad until I said that. So, <laughs> it's all right. Worse when you say that. Thank you. I know. Cheers. Have a good night. <laughs> you too. Bye. And we're good. Uh, Ren, we always do it. We always run about 20 minutes, 30 minutes over. Uh, this has been F episode 51.5 ish, maybe. Uh, I guess I call in their sights on the fact that you now have progressive media starting to pay attention to uh, Colin and David Sachs. And who knows if that, you know, becomes uh, something in their sights or their targets even more. But as I stated, generally, if a place like the New Republic picks it up, you can expect uh, a larger, more powerful outlet to come call in <laughs> uh, as well. So something to just keep an eye on as uh, I'm part of this platform. And uh, as part of you guys are all too, you guys all have accounts on here. You guys can keep, you guys can do these shows as well. Um, hopefully your shows will get published. So I, I'd like to guarantee I will try to publish this as soon as possible. 
Uh, I know people on my podcast demand that. And so I try to do it. Uh, I will try to do it as soon as I hang up here. Uh, but if it's not published, it's obviously that they are working on it. They are a good team. They are, you know, I am in com- communication with them and they, they do work their butts off for this app. And uh, they, they do things with tech that I, I'm, I'm completely mystified of. Apparently now they're doing video. No, thanks. Uh, but they are doing it. So I will try to get this episode published as soon as possible. Uh, I will be back at uh, Versus Media tomorrow. I will also be back on uh, Patreon on Saturday. And I'm going to try to be back here on Saturday. No promises. Um, but I'm going to try to drop in another episode uh, just to get people in as far as topics. And uh, so be on the lookout for that. Like I said, just be on the lookout for my alerts. Uh, feel free to leave your comments, questions, either in the chat here or also on Patreon, and I can get to those on my podcast. So once again, thanks to everyone who called in tonight. This was a fun night uh, all over the place, some good information, some good callers, um, some new ones and some usuals. As I said, uh, don't ever be afraid to jump in. I don't screen these calls. I'll, I'll listen to whatever you have to say. Um, and so, and try to keep it kind of wild in here. So once again, this is Versus Media live here on call, and I'm Stephen L. Miller, and uh, I will see you back on Patreon tomorrow. Cheers.